You're listening to the Yoga Inspiration Podcast with me, your host, Kino McGregor. I created this series to keep you inspired to get on the mat every day so that you can practice yoga and change your world, starting from the inside out, one breath at a time. Thanks so much for listening. Your support means everything to me. First, I'd like to say that it was so nice to have the opportunity to continue to practice. So there are many beings on this planet now and not all have the opportunity within their day to devote to the practice. So I just want to acknowledge that it is such a wonderful opportunity that we have to share the space of practice. And it takes, a many, it takes many different factors to create the wonderful opportunity to practice. But first and foremost, you have to show up for the practice. So the fact that you have shown up is really the most important quality because nothing can, even the most perfect circumstances that have been arranged for you, if you do not take it upon yourself to show up and commit yourself to the practice, then the practice will not happen. So I want to acknowledge that. We have all somehow dragged ourselves into this meditation and we have made it through. And this is really a wonderful thing to celebrate. The second thing to really always acknowledge is that we have this wonderful gift of the teaching. Not every being on this planet has the opportunity to receive the teaching of the spiritual path. First of all, we can look at the animals. Animals are wonderful, beautiful beings filled with love and kindness and so much goodness. But the animals cannot be trained in the deeper teachings of the spiritual path. We may love them, they may love us, we share love, but there is some element that anyhow, uh, they would always maybe go for some yummy food item instead of meditation if the option was there. And, uh, you know, and that's okay, that's wonderful. Then there, within human beings, we have this wonderful potential to receive the teaching, but not every human being has the great opportunity to practice because of life circumstance, because of culture, because of family, because of adversity in one's life. We may not have the opportunity to come in contact with the teaching. So we have to understand that this unique privilege that we have to do this practice is something to be cherished and something to be um, really cared for, we could say. And then the, 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 the idea of, of, of giving thanks for the teaching. So we have the opportunity to practice. We have the fact that we have brought ourselves to the practice and we have the practice itself. We understand that this practice was not invented by me, nor even by the person that I learned directly from. But we have this gift of the practice because those who've come before us have worked diligently, ardently to attain some aspect of liberation. And we have this teaching passed on through generations, having been preserved all the way back, particularly this meditation can be traced all the way back, Anapanasati, to the life and teaching of the Buddha. So we have more than 2,000 years of lineage that we give thanks to. If we practice yoga asana, the yoga postures, we have thousands of years of lineage to give thanks to. Any spiritual tradition, if you consider yourself to follow the teachings of Jesus, he lived more than 2,000 years ago. So we have kept these teachings from the great masters of ancient times alive. And now we may participate in receiving these teachings because the generations before us have preserved the teachings. 
So we have this unique confluence to be thankful for. Our effort to bring ourselves to the practice, our unique position in life, the intersection of um, life that we sit at that allows us the opportunity, the good fortune to practice, and the teachings that have been passed on through so many generations that we now receive. So when we sit at this confluence of opportunity, we cannot take it for granted. We have to really think, wow, this is something really, really special. So let me recommit myself to this. What does that mean to constantly recommit yourself? Well, within every practice itself, we have to constantly recommit ourselves. The mind is wandering here or there. So many thoughts come up. We're moving here or there. And each time we bring our attention back to the breath, we recommit ourselves to the task at hand. We recommit ourselves to um, kind of coming back to our anchor and steadying the path. It's so easy to lose focus. It's so easy to forget what is really the essence of what the practice is about. It's so easy to lose focus in our life. What is really the essence of each encounter? Do we want to focus on um, repetitive thoughts where we're ruminating on the past or projecting into the future? Or do we want to return to whatever is our chosen a kind of focal point and our goal in each moment? And this is something we have to return to over and over again. So I should also like to share that even though I sit with you, that this is a practice for me as well. The same thing with yoga asana. This is a practice for me as well. The spiritual practice is first and foremost always just that, a practice. So as I'm sitting with you, my mind is wandering from here to there. I am not perfect in my attention to the breath, especially if I've had any difficulties in my life. Then it's, then, you know, what difficulties can there be? You know, an argument with a friend, some stressful situation that's happening in the life. When these things arise, as soon as you come to sit, it can be so difficult to concentrate the mind. But in those moments, especially Rather than avoiding the sitting practice, the sitting practice can really help you get more presence and gain more presence and potentially re-enter those difficult circumstances in one's life with more compassion, more kindness, and ultimately more clarity. So when I'm sitting and when I'm practicing my yoga asana practice, for a long time, I wanted to be perfect and get it right. But after many years, I realized that that was going to be impossible, at least in this lifetime. And rather than thinking that that impossibility is a problem, what's very useful is to understand that the failure is part of the process of learning because we can't expect to get everything, even the application of these wonderful teachings, even our ability to bring ourselves to the practice, we can't expect to get it right every single time. So if we understand the imperfect nature of what we bring, to the practice, if we understand the imperfect nature of all of the variety of circumstances which create the opportunity for the practice, then this kind of lets us off the hook of needing to get it 100% right. And that way, when your mind wanders during your sitting practice, you don't need to beat yourself up about it because it's just part of the practice. In fact, many times I've spent the entire time sitting lost in a repetitive thought, only to have my mind come back with some verbal instruction, and this may have happened to you today, or, or even in the yoga practice, to realize, well, I've done my entire yoga asana practice, flowing from one asana to another, but my mind was elsewhere because it was bothered or disturbed by things in my life. Well, the tool of the meditation or asana practice is not failing you in that moment. In fact, it's working because it helps you realize, oh, look how caught I am in all of these thoughts. 
And what we say is if you have even one moment of clarity, which we all have at least one moment, at least one breath we were present to as it moved in and as it moved out, one breath we were conscious of during the yoga asana practice, then this can create the foundation for more breaths, more awareness, and more intelligence to kind of come and uh, express itself in the practice. So when we understand also that our life circumstance is also not perfect, we understand that there will be arguments and disagreements, even though we are yogis, even though we are meditators, we will still yet have disagreements here or there. We are not perfect in the life circumstance. We will experience anger, depression, sadness. All these things will arise. These are not failures of the spiritual path, but they are in fact, the very presence of these difficulties is what allows us to grow spiritually. So rather than thinking that we're doing something wrong when anger, sadness, or anxiety arises, we have to understand, oh, this is the foundation for me to practice working with these very qualities that I would normally consider obstacles. Similarly, in life circumstance, if we are in a life circumstance which is filled with difficulty or adversity, we recognize, oh, this too is the foundation for me to practice. The life circumstance will not always afford you the luxury of an hour to spend in deep investigation of the spiritual practice. Sometimes we only have five minutes and those five minutes are so precious. And sometimes a life circumstance, perhaps even our own motivation, will lead us to periods where we skip the practice. Anybody I know that's been practicing for more than five, 10 or 20 years has had periods where if they still, if where they probably didn't show up for the practice. I don't know how many of you have had periods where you were really, really involved in the practice and then because of one thing or another, maybe injury, maybe sickness or life circumstance, you just stop practicing. It could have been a week. It could have been a month. It could have been a year. And then something in you, like a kick from within was like, gotta get back on my mat. Gotta start sitting again. I gotta start doing this again. Well, that's not considered a failure those pauses are very useful because they help you realize the preciousness of the practice. I don't know anyone, myself included, that has gotten on the mat with the same level of enthusiasm over 20, 30 years or over a whole lifetime. I'm, I am someone who manages to drag myself to the meditation cushion, to the mat consistently, but I somehow don't always carry the same level of enthusiasm. And so these lulls that I experience in the practice are very easy for me to start feeling guilty about and start easy for me to start feeling shame about. Oh no, I used to try so hard. Oh look, I used to do this, I used to do that. And now what's happening? Well, the, under, the thing to understand is that because it's practice, those pauses and whatever we experience in those pauses, whether it's in practice or whether it's in our life or whether it's in one thing or another, you know, whether it's just the distracted mind that we experience while we're sitting, the distracted mind that we experience while we're doing the yoga asana practice, or a long hiatus from the practice that we have to come back and start again. Or for some reason, the body suddenly stiffens up in an area that used to be very flexible. All of these, what we could call um, vacillations, are just the natural occurrence of what we're meant to experience and work with. So rather than thinking that we're doing something wrong, we have to embrace this imperfection and realize oh, this too is part of the path. This too is part of the path, right? Good. So we have a little bit of time for any questions. So 
So please feel welcome to type any questions you have into the chat, or if you'd like to raise your hand and ask a question, we can also do that. And if you also don't have any questions, that's okay too, although I see some questions just appeared. Let's see what we have for questions. First, we have a question from DP. Hi, Dorothy, I think. Yes, hi, Dorothy. When I sit in uh, this comfortable seated position, let's see, when I sit in the comfortable seated position, I don't feel my legs anymore after a while. Um, and so Dorothy says, is it, you know, maybe no more blood circulation? And then she, her question is, is that okay, okay or should I sit differently? So Dorothy, everybody's legs kind of go numb after a while when they sit. Um, it's not that necessarily there's no blood circulation, um, but it's like you would hold any other posture. So for example, if you were taking a long airplane trip and you were to fall asleep in a weird position, then we have various parts of our bodies that go into that falling asleep position. It's not dangerous. And as soon as you change your posture, everything starts to flow again. The other thing is that you'll develop an endurance for sitting, just like anything else. When I used to sit for five minutes, at the end of the five minutes, my feet and my whole legs would be asleep and it was brutal. And then I started sitting for five minutes every day. And then lo and behold, five minutes would no longer make my feet fall asleep. Now, as you expand your daily sitting practice, the endurance, somehow the body realizes, oh, I can't sleep here because she's gonna do this every day. And then it builds up an endurance. But if you suddenly sit, say if you have, a, say if you have like a 10 minute daily sitting practice, then you suddenly sit for 30 minutes, your legs will sleep for about 20 minutes. And that's totally normal. No damage can come to the body. Just make sure that you're not trying to sit in lotus where there's pressure on any of the joints or anything like that, uh, especially if you have the tendency for your feet to fall asleep. You can just keep sitting. As long as it's not overpowering your meditation, the instruction is simple. Observe that the feet, the legs, or any other part of the body has fallen asleep. Return to the breath. Okay. Thanks. So Carla's got the next question. Hi, Carla. So Carla says, first of all, I would like to express gratitude for the meditation this morning. Thank you. Carla says, today was the first time I was able to sit without moving as much. Congratulations, Carla. That's awesome. Good work. Let's see. Uh, then Carla says, says, learning to sit and feeling comfortable with uncomfortable sensation or pain, that means to accept whatever is happening this moment and just feel it and allow it to be. Yeah, so she's asking, is that what it is? Yes, absolutely. So when there's discomfort, um, wisdom should accompany this, this discomfort, and this is important. So Dorothy's example of the feet falling asleep is what we call like discomfort that can cause no injury. Um, if you're sitting and you start to feel that you're going into cardiac arrest, for example, like if you start to feel I'm having a heart attack, you wanna exit the sit and immediately call 911, okay? So it's like within reason. So we have some things which are comfortable discomforts. If you have an itch, this is not gonna to lead to an injury. If you have some like light burning sensation in some muscles around your neck or your back, it's not lead to injury. If some limb is falling asleep, not lead to injury. If they're just irritating sensations like throbbing, pulsating sensations here or there, this will not lead to injury. Temperature fluctuations, suddenly heating sensations, suddenly cooling sensations, you just sit with those and you have just like, just like the instruction for the feet falling asleep, you observe burning sensation in this muscle and you make an evaluation. Is this something that I need to attend to? No, it's just a random burning in the muscles around my upper back, return to the breath. I got a strong itchy sensation on my eye. 
And then, you, you know, and you observe strong, itchy sensation on the eye, you return to the breath. This is exactly what the technique is. And what it is, it's training you in separating your identity from um, attachment to pleasure and aversion from pain. And it's a long training. So we need these moments of discomfort to do that. And it's part of what we could call it ego, ego annihilation or the liberation of the soul. So good work. So let's see. Megan has a question. Hi, Megan. Thanks for joining. Megan says, I'm so grateful. And I would like to ask about teacher training for meditation. Would you recommend any? Um, so Megan is in Poland and asking about the teacher training. So first of all, uh, Jack Kornfield and Tara Brock do a two-year um, hybrid remote online uh, mindfulness teacher training program. So I can definitely recommend that. Uh, the best foundation for any sort of meditation training is to sit and to develop a strong sitting sadhana practice for many years. And it's the same advice that I would give any yoga teacher as well. The foundation of any teaching you do is to develop a strong sadhana. So if you have never done a 10 day silent retreat and you're considering teaching meditation or mindfulness, Megan, I would advise you to immediately find a 10 day silent retreat and meditation that you can go and join and figure out if that's for you. Um, if you haven't done kind of an immersion and you're thinking about teaching something, I always recommend people to do an immersion first. And this includes whether it's yoga, meditation, I don't know, or anything else that you would consider teaching that's out there. You know, if you become, need to become a teacher in something, we need to be immersed in it. So next step for you, Megan, find a 10 day silent retreat uh, and, and do that. The second, you could consider the Jack Kornfield Tara Brock uh, training program. Um, in, and uh, in some of our longer courses, we include a meditation and mindfulness training component. Um, but there, again, the most useful thing is to develop a firm sadhana. Good. Let's see what other questions are here. I see a lot of thank yous, which is really nice. And then we have a question from Frederica. Frederica says, would you, how would you define good or bad? Hmm, good question. According to Ahimsa, killing would be bad, but some animals need to kill others in order to have food to survive. Does it only apply to humans? And aren't many liberties for some humans depending on others' suffering? So, Frederica, good question, and good that you're reflecting on the nature of Ahimsa. This shows that you're kind of committed to taking the message of the spiritual path into your life. First of all, animals are generally freed from the what we call the moral and ethical vow of ahimsa because the animal has not as i described before does not have the consciousness which is required to commit oneself to the spiritual path mm -hmm. remember as i was talking about originally we humans are unique because we can choose i want to follow yoga i want to follow the discipline of meditation so i will take on the vow of ahimsa wonderful the dog no matter how peaceful the dog is you place some bacon in front of the dog and the dog will eat that bacon even if the dog is very peaceful and kind and even is friends with a pig because it does not have the consciousness to say oh this bacon used to be my friend the pig therefore i shall not eat it the dog merely smells the bacon and eats it in a similar way the like large felines the large cats even the small cats our house cats have the kill instinct and this kill instinct is just its nature. So that, you know, they, first of all, to eat, they must kill uh, in, the, in the wild. But you can see even house cats, they have the little bit of this nature where they want to just at people here and there. And it's just their nature. It's not that they have violating some vow of ahimsa. They cannot take the vow of ahimsa. They can just be what they are. It's just the nature 
of that, that, that being, wonderful, filled with love, but missing the crucial elements of consciousness, which says, I want to take this vow of Ahimsa. Now, not every human being has taken the vow of Ahimsa. We cannot judge anybody else's a path, even other yogis. We can only judge ourselves because, you see, Ahimsa is not an absolute. Ahimsa, this concept of moving more towards nonviolence, is to start from wherever we are and move towards more nonviolence. And that has to start from within ourselves and then move outward. So we cannot say, oh, look, this person, they're causing so much suffering to others. Oh, look, this person, they're causing so much suffering to me. They're violating their ahimsa. Look, they do yoga every morning and they're still speaking badly to me. What a bad yogi they are. Then we are violating our own ahimsa. You know, we are being violent towards them in our judgment. We cannot judge anyone else. Second, the idea of good and bad is always subjective. And part of our training is to remove ourselves from the knee-jerk reaction to base concepts of good and bad in our past experience of reality. Instead, our training is to move into neutral, pure observation so we can see what is as it is and try to include the whole perspective, which is almost impossible. So the idea is to include, well, from this perspective, maybe it looks bad, but from this perspective, I can understand how this is happening. So we can see this concept of kind of holism from a perspective that we can't have, um, but we try to have as the yogi. We try to have this holistic perspective. It's said that wisdom is seeing the whole perspective and that when we judge others or when we categorize good and bad, we are like the parable of the many blind people who hold on to an elephant. Have you heard this parable before of the blind people holding the elephant? This is a very common one when it talks about knowledge. So all the blind people come around or people with blindfolds and then they hold on to one elephant and they describe the elephant. One describes the trunk. Oh, the elephant is like this. Oh, this is very good. It has these features. Oh, one holds the tail. This is very bad, smelly down here. Another one holds, you know, the one foot and the other foot and, and then they all sit with half truths judging one another why do why do you why does this this part of the elephant treat me like this why does this elephant treat me like that and then we're judging when in fact we only see one sliver of reality and instead we could be better off merely redirecting our efforts to our own ahimsa constantly reevaluating how can i bring myself towards more peacefulness for me how can i not be perfect because i won't be perfect but where i was once violent how can i lessen the seeds of violence where I was once angry, how can I be less angry? Where I have been bitter and resenting, resentful towards others, how can I soften those edges? And in this way, we work towards Ahimsa. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Good, let's see, I see many more questions, maybe comments, I see a lot of thank you. So this is so wonderful. I'm so grateful to you for coming into this session. It looks like we have one last question from Elizabeth, which will be the last question for today. So Elizabeth says, during the sitting practice and becoming aware of breath and the reality of my location in the world, I am sometimes afforded small moments that feel completely liberated and blissful, such as being hyper aware of the warmth of the sun or the pressure over the atmosphere. Is this part of the practice or am I lost in imagination and daydreaming? Elizabeth, what a wonderful question and reflection. So first of all, congratulations on what we could, could call those small moments of samadhi. And I would wager that you're not the only one who has experienced those small moments like that. I would bet that almost everybody 
who's continuing to practice yoga and meditation for many years has had these tastes of samadhi. People misunderstand the concept of samadhi as like a final goal that we get to one day. And samadhi, in fact, means different states of meditative absorption. The degree to which we can concentrate the mind continuously on a single point of attention opens up our powers of perception so that we can see a deeper level of reality. When you're experiencing sensations like the warmth of the sun, the pressure of the atmosphere, or even the disintegration of the body itself. These are sensations which are your lived experience and are not imagination. If instead you started to visualize this and visualize that, this would be imagination. But when your actual sensory capacity is tuning you into some almost transcendental type of experience we call this different that we call this the the a state of samadhi a state of meditative absorption and these are moments of bliss now the teaching says that in these moments of bliss it is very easy to get attached and identified with these moments of bliss so the most important thing you can do when you touch those states of samadhi is to experience them for what they are and let them go experience them for what they are and let them go to recognize we'll reach these peaks perhaps of total disintegration where the ego annihilates itself for a moment where the body disintegrates into nothingness and there's only emptiness and then we return and what happens this is what jack cornfield calls after the ecstasy the laundry we still are in this body and we still got to do the laundry and we still got to clean the clothes and wash the dishes and we still got to pay our taxes and pay the bills and you know take care of all of our worldly things we got to do that so when we touch those moments of ecstatic absorption we just have to recognize that this doesn't mean we have attained buddhahood it doesn't mean you know, now i'm in, you know enlightened we have tasted a little bit of what is our potential and this is kind of motivation to keep going but it is not a guarantee that we will ever experience that same state again. It is said in the traditional teachings that even one momentary glimpse of samadhi can forever change your life. So we're thankful for those moments, these epiphany moments, these transcendental moments that come in and we let them go. That's all we can do. They may never come again, but we hope they do, you know? It's like if you have a yoga posture, maybe some of you have had a posture where you did it once, and that was it. I don't know if you've ever had that experience, but I have some postures I managed to do once. I don't know what happened. Can't do it again. You know, and it's like, wow, that was magical. I don't know what happened. The stars aligned in a particular way. You were wearing your magic outfit. You ate whatever perfect foods needed to eat. The room was at the perfect temperature and everything happened. And then it was gone. It's not that we lost it. It was just an experience. And this is one of the hardest places to practice non-attachment. Sometimes people find it harder to let go of the dream of pleasure than they do find it to accept pain. So we work both sides and we understand we release our attachment to pleasure and our aversion from pain. And somewhere in between this, we find peace with where we are. And this is why we're on the path and why we keep practicing.
Good. Thank you so much, everyone, for doing this meditation with me. Thank you so much for sitting with me, for being a part of our OMSTARS community. I love you, and I want you to keep the inspiration to keep practicing. Next week, um, remember, if you're joining for my yoga drills class, uh, Ugi, who is my contortion teacher, is going to come do backbending drills, so join for that. Also on Wednesday, if it works for you with the time, uh, next Wednesday in, I think, 6 o'clock, we're going to have a meditation and yin class, which will be a hybrid class, uh, and that means there'll be some students, which you probably won't see, but they'll be there in the room. So join for that if you want to, and stay tuned for more fun stuff happening in May. And send you a lot of love, and I'll see you next time. Bye, everyone. Hey there, it's Kino here. I just wanted to thank you for tuning in to my podcast. Your support and your time and your attention really mean a lot to me. If you're enjoying this podcast series, you can find the full-length videos on my online channel, OMSTARS, and that's at www.omstars.com. You can redeem a 14-day free trial and get access to our full library of over 3,000 classes and also practice yoga with me online. I'd also love to see you in class sometime. So you can find my full live in-person teaching schedule on my website, which is kinoyoga.com. And if you haven't checked out my books, I'd absolutely be honored if you'd check those out. You can find those available at any online bookseller. The Yoga Inspiration Podcast is designed to keep you inspired to get on the mat. And I hope you're leaving each episode with a little glimmer and spark of the spirit which is the true heart of the yoga method. Thanks so much for tuning in, everyone. May you be happy. May you be peaceful. May you be filled with love. Namaste.